The video of the security guard tackling the uh, Canadian golfer was Adam Hadwin. It gets funny and funny every time you see it. And, <laughs> I, and I just, every angle adds a new little element of comedy yeah, to yeah, it. You know what I just saw? <laughs> the policeman standing a foot away from it, just watching it happen. Be like, and her, and her, yeah. hey, what are y'all doing? <laughs> uh, I'm an officer of the law, not a security guard, and uh, just going to let that happen. You're right. And they're like, you're right. There are like three other security guys, three or four other security yeah. guys around there, too. And they were not as overzealous. They were not as zealous as um, the security guard there. He's His name's going to be out there soon. People are doing the research. But, uh, yeah, his Adam, name's going to be in there when the lawsuit comes out. <laughs> yeah. Well, according to Jessica Hadwin, Adam Hadwin's wife, uh, who Adam Hadwin is the golfer that was tackled, who was going to celebrate uh, with Nick Taylor after winning the Canadian Open, first Canadian to do it since 1954. And then he came over with a bottle of champagne, um, and the security guard thought it was something a little bit more dramatic than that because he panicked. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, it was crazy, though, when he starts tackling him, he tackles him to the ground. Yeah, full-on tackle. Initially, he can he could just kind of, you know, move him away or, you know what I mean, just kind of rip He didn't know what he move, had. He didn't him. know what he had. Yeah, he, he had to go all the way he down. He wanted to go to the <laughs> ground with him, and that's interesting to me, too, is that he wanted to take him to the ground, and that may add a little bit more credence to Patrick's theories that he was looking kind of for a reason. Because yeah. like, you could have just removed him, and then he would have been all right. Yeah. But he, he, he put him all the way down. How many reasons do you have at a golf event, though? Hey, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel, I feel so like that's there's plenty to nervous. have nice. That is true. Good point. Because there's normally not that many. Most of the people that are coming when you're watching somebody have that moment where they're walking up to the deal. They're not coming. I think that's the first time we've ever seen anybody come out there with champagne. I've never that's seen anybody right. come no, out there. I, I got it. That's right. I, I do think all that. But that's why there's protocol that's not spearing a guy <laughs> into the ground hey. like like you're trying to protect the goal line in the championship game. Hey, First down. I've been saying it ever since Liv has been compared to NWO. I want more of WWE in the PGA and in golf, and it seems like we are getting more of it since Liv came into the picture yeah. So because they, they're villains. I'm all about it. More of W. I want more of this. I want people trying to pop bottles of champagne when people win. And now when people are getting tackled Wait, on the are green, you say, were you it's saying, beautiful. Was this guy going to make a heel turn? Yeah. He might have been. been. He might have been. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, was, I would, I would, I would they had the stone come. Yeah, man. You got to be prepared, man. I haven't seen this before, and I, you know what? I'm for it. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be talking about the Canadian <laughs> Open. Otherwise, we don't, we don't even bring it up. Yeah, exactly. All right, so there you go. But according to uh, Hadwin's wife, she says, and maybe she's joking, she said he apologized to the security guard. My bad, dog. Yeah, because Ooh, sorry. He's, ca- he's Canadian. Ooh, sorry, eh? <laughs> he's Canadian. He I got a Canadian little too boy. excited. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that can, your Canadian uh, fresh is not that bad. That like was that. really good. That I was not it. bad. Uh, all right, let's get to some. Y'all should hear my Australian. 
I'll okay. give it to y'all at another time. Well, 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 oh, when, it, when is this going to be appropriate? Maybe oh. you know, oh, I'll make sure. I got y'all my all going to bring up Crocodile Dundee in about eight minutes. <laughs> I'm like, when is it going to be appropriate? Hang in there, guys. I'll get y'all ready. I'm trying to think of the, what, what sports story is going to come out of Australia. So and we are going to be talking rugby this week. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. There we go. We might get it this week. That's then. right. Uh, all right, gentlemen, let's get back into the NBA Finals. Uh, it was a... Another dominant win for Denver. It uh, looks like you guys and your both of you guys' gentlemen sweep uh, prediction for this series might come to fruition tonight. Uh, what I thought was interesting about Game 4, guys, is that the Nuggets, how about this, guys? The Nug- Nuggets were a below 500 road team. I kept mm-hmm. bringing that up earlier. And, and even to start the playoffs, they lost three of their first four road games in the playoffs. So they just became, I'm talking about in the last like three, two weeks, they just became a really good road team. They won five straight road games for the first time all season with that, right. uh, with that road win that in game four versus the Miami Heat. That was five straight. They haven't won five straight road games all season long, and now they're doing it. Yeah. That was number one. That was amazing for me. And the second most amazing thing about game four, Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray combined for a series-low 38 points. And <laughs> if you're the Miami Heat, you got to be thinking, oh, man, if we can hold them to a, co- a combined, you know, fewer than 40 points, hell, they probably be thinking even fewer than 50 points combined, yep. and they've been doing really well. You hold Nikola Jokic, best player on the planet, and Jamal Murray, who's playing like the second best player on the planet right now, to a combined 38 points, and you still lose 108 to 95 hey. because Aaron Gordon gets 27 mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'll say. And Michael Porter Jr. and KCP, who have been helping you out a lot, they're 18. Yeah, they combine they for 18. Combine for so 18. They, they don't even have a good game. They have bad games, respectively, offensively. Yep. Yep. And yep. you still keep on that. And you still couldn't get close to Bruce Brown at 21. Yes. This is a game that showed you, yeah, it ain't all about Jokic and Murray. Just in case you was like, man, it's a Jokic and Murray show. It's all about them. And if they don't play their best game, that's how you beat Denver. No. Yeah. They actually can't afford to have those stars have a average to, you know, for them actually, below average game, and they still can end up beating you damn near by double digits. It's, yeah, uh, or sorry, beating you by double digits. Sorry, yeah. we're going to wait to 95. That is, uh, that's really impressive, and it shows me that the uh, the depth and overall talented depth of Miami is just starting to wear down, oh, sorry, uh, of Denver is starting to wear down Miami at this point, mm-hmm. and I don't see Miami even in, I know it's, they're going to put out a hell of an effort because they got a lot of heart, and they play you know, with a ton of that dog in them, so they'll, give a good, they'll have a good fight, but I think game five goes to the Denver Nuggets, and the truth is, they may cover the number, and I think the number is nine. It's eight and a half. It's I just saw it on mine. It said eight and I, a half. And I, I, I take them to cover the number. <laughs> and the other part of it, too, you, we've been talking about the over-under. It's been under. It's been under. Yeah. You know, they've been, they've been been both teams have not been going out there scoring at a high rate or a very high clip. I mean, but the biggest thing for me is the fact that the Miami Heat, who had to go through a play-in game, extended series, and continued. We said this the other day. They just don't look like they have the legs to finish the race. Mm-hmm. You you can go out there, and, and we could talk about the first half where they go out there and try to score and try to be in it, but they were down in the first half again at halftime. They tied the fourth quarter because that's, that's where they normally make their run, and if you can stay with them in the fourth quarter with your lead, you're going to win the game. Because that's been the difference for them all year. You've been talking about 
how their numbers and what were they plus ninety at they, one point in the fourth? Were, yeah, yeah, and then and plus eighty nine after game yeah. two. I believe that was the case. Now you're sitting there and you're like, man, it's you got to you can't let that team play with you in the fourth quarter because that has been the difference. Because Denver's coming out, they're leading going into the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and if they score even with you like this game, they both scored twenty two points in the fourth quarter. You're never going to close the gap. So you brought up the fact, too, that 10 points when Jokic went out with his foul trouble and a sprained ankle, comes back in, and all you get it down is to nine. (laughs) That was supposed to be your time to make your run. That's when you were supposed to be aggressive and getting into the paint and trying to get to the rim. But you're not even doing that. No. It's no, and I mean, and I know we're we're talking about Miami does have good defense in this series. They've actually, and I know holding Denver to one hundred eight and holding Denver under one hundred and ten in today's NBA is pretty good. Now, part of that is Miami is slowing the game down way too mm-hmm. much. Like it worked a little bit, but you have to try and speed the game up a little bit more if you're Miami because you just have to score more points. And I get it's going to hurt your defense, but you have to do it. Like you have to find a way to change this up. I think the bigger question is, does Spolstra make a change to a starting lineup when Struess and Gabe Vincent have basically become liabilities offensively? Right. And you have two guys that were playing really well for you, both now offensive liabilities, and you put in Lowry, who hasn't been great, but he's been playing the line shares in the minute anyway. And you basically put them on the bench and try and go, look, I get there's a 50-50 shot this backfires and they lose confidence and whatever else. But they suck now. So how much more can they suck if I put them on the bench? Like maybe that sp- inspires them mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I got to prove him wrong. And and they'll come off the bench and they'll see it a little different. They'll be playing against different defenders and they'll be playing different minutes of guys that now you're Jamal Murray's guarding you. He's more tired when he's guarding you because he, you're coming in 10 minutes into the game. There, There's other things where you may want to switch out and put a Lowry in. Uh, we th- we know that Ty- Hero's suiting up and trying to play. I still don't put him in the starting lineup because defensively he is going to be gassed so fast. Early, especially at the altitude. At altitude, hasn't yeah. played all postseason. Oof. Basically, he gets hurt in that first postseason game. It's just a hard game to try and come back to and do anything. So I, I don't know if I put him in, but I maybe put Caleb Martin back in. He at least did okay in that last game mm-hmm. and just go, let's go a little bit bigger. Let's try and create shot blocking. Let's try and do whatever. But let's just try something other than going out with a whimper because we're just going to rely on Jimmy Butler to be the guy that he hasn't been in eight straight games. Yeah, uh, that's the other troubling part for Miami is that their best player has not had that uh, superhuman performance from playoff Hemi, playoff Jimmy Hemi, as we like to call him. Hemi ain't been Hemi. Not lately, (laughs) and he's been trending the wrong way for Miami, and I think that's a big part of why we haven't seen them been able to steal enough of these games here in the finals, and tonight they'll be certainly trying to steal one. And one thing I got to bring up about the Denver Nuggets, and it's an interesting conversation because I think it actually is a microcosm of a conversation that 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 we're having or will have about Nikola Jokic. Um, the knock is that you know Denver's not a good defensive team, and I don't. I mean, obviously in the playoffs they have changed their defensive strategy and really kind of changed their defensive character a little bit. I just talked about how regular season they were not a good road team, and yet they've won five straight road games for the first time all season in the last twenty six years. The only team to win a title who was ranked in the regular season um, outside the top 11 in defensive rating was the Lakers, 2000-2001. Yep. 
Nuggets are 15th. Um, so the Nuggets actually have in this in, in this playoffs, especially deeper in the playoffs, their defense has really picked up tremendously. Yeah. And that's something I think, you know, we don't talk enough about. In games three and four were just the second time all season that Denver held opponents to under 105 points per uh, per 100 possessions in two straight games. Right. And and by the way, those other the other time was the first two home games of the season where they did that. So they're getting better defensively. Also, the second time this season that Denver held opponents to 105 uh, to under 105 points per 100 possessions in three of the four games. And the other time that happened, it was a four-game homestand. Two of these games have been on the road for Denver. Uh, in game two, Miami had their second most efficient offensive outing of the postseason um, or the play-in. So that's when Mike Malone really was upset after that. But didn't need three losses in the finals for the Miami Heat. They've had their least efficient offensive performance of the playoffs, period. Yep. Uh, if you go look at the 704, and, and, and Jokic doesn't get enough credit defensively. I'm not saying he's a defensive juggernaut at all, not going there at all. But I do think his defense is underrated. Man, what? It is. We yeah, don't talk for enough sure. about it. Yes. 747 minutes in the playoffs, Denver's defensive rating with Jokic on the court, guys, 111.8. That would be top 10 in a regular season. It would be right outside the top five. In round two versus the Suns, Denver allowed with Jokic on the floor. 109.3 points per 100 possessions. It's actually gotten even better. Um, and you go look at it in uh, game four, Jokic became the fifth player in finals history to finish with three blocks and three steals and 10 defensive rebounds. So I'm just throwing it out there that he, he's a little underrated when it comes to defense. I know he's an offensive supercomputer and a, you know, probably unprecedented versatility uh, keeps us all, you know, riveted. And really, that's most what most of the conversation is about. But he is a he's not a liability defensively. No, I don't think so at all either. Well, yeah. no, and especially not in a team that wants to play in the half court. If you want to get out and run the ball and you want to try and beat him, beat his athleticism, then you're going to get some more points on him, and that's where you're going to get him in more trouble when you're driving the paint on him and he has to guard a guy who's going to have him out on the perimeter more and he's having to move laterally and he's having to jump at guys. That's going to cause him more problems. But if you're playing Bam out of bio 10 feet from the basket just about and you're say. setting up like that, he can play defense like that just fine because you're going into what some of his strengths are, yeah. which is footwork, which is – where he can, you know, he's it's ball control or body control. He's, he's a yeah. basketball Lateral mind. Movement. He's a basketball yeah. mind. He understands the so, game. So when you just go, let's attack this guy's just straight athleticism, which is trying to jump higher than him, try and run faster than him, those types of things, then you can get him in a little bit more foul trouble. And they got him into foul trouble on those types of plays. But <laughs> they're just not getting him into that much trouble right now because they want to slow the game down so much that every time they set up and slowly set up a defense, he gets to go find Bam, and he mm-hmm. sits under the basket with Bam. And you're like, you can't, you're going to let him be a lot better if you're not trying to switch him off and get a mismatch on him and put him out on perimeter on a guard and let the guard blow past him, and now he's out of the play. Well, here's the um, other part of it, yeah, too. They like don't that. have those type of players. So the matchup is always going to be that, and there's not very many NBA teams that can run the floor like that. We'll see. As the, as the league goes on and how they end up adjusting the yeah, Joker. They will. But there's not a lot of guys that fit that mold where it can be that consistent of a time where you're sitting there and saying, well, he's a liability or we can make him, we can make him weak in this area. Yes, every player has those weaknesses. But for Joker and what he's able to do, 
Hell, he starts the break. He gets on the break. Yep. He runs down the floor mm-hmm. faster than some of these guys. Well, and that's the part that has been very entertaining for me. Well, the best part with him offensively is that he plays the point. So he doesn't yes. have to be the – like, so when you're a center normally, you have to be the first guy. Get down there. Because yeah. you're supposed to be in the line and, the, and you're supposed to be the one – or you're cleaning up a dunk. Yeah. But he's a point guard, so he can basically get down and make a quick pass and they, everything's rolling. Defensively – you want to be able to get Bam down that court way faster, get him hard, like good position, and make Aaron Gordon or make somebody else come and back up to him, make uh, Jokic have to go out and guard someone else on the perimeter like a Kevin Love, and then you can try and move the ball around a little bit more mm-hmm. because you've pulled him out create some space. and you create a little bit more space. Yeah. That's more what you want to try and do. It's not so much that you have to go super fast once you get down there, but you have to try and get him to where he's at the half court when Bam Adebayo's already got position under the basket and somebody has to fix it. And that's where you get it and a little bit more mismatches. They just haven't really been able to do that, but partly because they're, you know, their offense isn't hitting shots. You have to hit shots to be able to do that. So, you, can, so they, like, you have to be able to get rebounds to be able to do that on the defensive side. So they're not, you're not getting them reset. It might, they're not stopping them enough. Mm-hmm. And then on offense, basically both sides of the ball, they're not getting into it enough where they can get back down and, and keep running the court. Yeah, it's uh, it, it does seem like a Herculean task ahead of Miami just to try to get uh, to steal a game, and it feels like stealing a game. Yeah, that's it, exactly it, what it, it feels would be. like. Every time yeah. they win one, they gotta steal it, and they did. They stole one. They stole a game. But two. the problem is, you get caught on film. They got you caught on tape. You stole it, but we caught you on tape. Got caught red-handed. So we, yeah, you got caught red-handed because that means I'm going to get it back. And I want to give a shout-out. I want to make sure that we give Michael Malone his flowers mm-hmm. as well. We were talking a lot about what Spolstra has been able to do throughout these playoffs. He's been the one that's normally the sharpest one that's out there. We're talking about, oh, he's out-coached that guy and coached, out-coached this guy. But I think Mike Malone, Mike, Michael Malone has done an unbelievable job of mixing and matching his guys and knowing the first game that they lost, he didn't play the right guy, the right guys. When they lost that game too, it was because he fell in love with what he had and didn't get, didn't look at those other guys that were ready to play. Game three, mm. Christian Brown went in there. He played out of his mind. You saw uh, uh, Brown, the other the other one that spelled traditionally mm. Brown, Bryce, he, Bryce Brown, Brown yeah. Uh, yeah. He went out there and he played good basketball just like he did the other night. So it's all about those keys of trying to figure out, yes, they're the number one seed and they're that team that everybody was looking at, but we've been giving Spolstra so much respect, which rightfully so, but across from him is a coach that has pushed the right buttons. Because remember, every conversation leads off with that fourth quarter every single time. He knows that's when his team gets lazy because they get that lead. Mm-hmm. They get the lead. They're looking at it, and they're already trying to figure out where the party's at instead of <laughs> let's finish this thing, stay focused. You haven't done anything yet, and lock in, and that's what they've been able to do. Yeah, so shout out to him. I believe these are the second and fourth most tenured coaches in the NBA right now. Both that of them is, are? Well, yeah, it makes sense because with Spolstra. Pop, Pop is one, Spolstra is two, Steve Kerr is three, I think Michael Malone is four. I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. You, you, honestly, with the way things went down this offseason, I, I wouldn't yeah, doubt that Yeah, that's all. a very I mean, good yeah, point. You have so valid. many coaches He's, who yeah, are So veterans. you say these are tenured coaches that they built a culture, They built it, and they've been building it for years, both these teams have. But Denver, I think Spolster gets more credit because there is more undrafted and because you have just better – like the storylines seem better. Like mm-hmm. there's not as many fun guys. Like Aaron Gordon, people just – people basically gave up on him two years ago. Yep. 
Uh, they felt he was a slam dunk guy, but never going to be a player on that level. And he had his coming out party in game four where, I mean, being the leading scorer in an NBA Finals game is rare company. And especially when you are not expected to be that guy. Not that guy, yeah. But, it, like, I, those storylines I think people just leave off because it's Denver. It's, they're, you know, and Jokic, the story is so great that you just go, oh, it's all Jokic. There's a lot that went into building this team, and Michael Malone does deserve a lot of credit for being able to go. And and Denver's ownership and management deserves credit for sticking with it when they, in 2020, they are playing the Lakers in the bubble with this similar mm-hmm. team, and they call, they fall short. And instead of breaking it all up then, not believing that Jamal Murray is going to come back healthy in 2021, to have all that to now be in 2023 and a game away, that takes a lot of credit to not blow it all up because we've seen so many of these teams blow it all up. And they have uh, Jokic, Murray, Michael Porter Jr., KCP, and uh, Brown all in the contract. Yep. So they got a lot of the core. core, over. Yeah, the core is young, and the core is signed for the foreseeable future. It's a dangerous combination for the rest of the NBA. What did Marcus Peters say in one of his interviews? We ain't done yet. No. That's how they feel. They ain't. No, I, I, I don't believe it either because it's going to take the rest of the NBA a little while to kind of catch up I to agree. this model and what they're doing. They'll catch up, but it may take them a little while. Uh, Jokic now in the playoffs averaging 30 points per game in these playoffs, excuse me, 30 points per game, 13 rebounds, and 9.8 assists. Mm-hmm. Dude's about to average a triple-double in the Love playoffs. It. <laughs> Love it. A 30-point. Triple double in the playoffs. Love it. Then he said, I don't care. Just give me the title. (laughs) You know, he's right because we won't give a damn about any of these stats if he doesn't have the title. And as soon as he gets the title, the narrative shifts as to, all right, where is Jokic among all the greatest big men in NBA history? And this feels bad, but I got to tell Jimmy Butler, like, dude, you can't have the same conversations Jokic can. Jokic is the best player in the NBA. So when he says, I don't care, because he's putting up 30 20 tens. Yeah. When you're like, if I can make it the NBA Hall of Fame, I, I won't go. That. I don't care. You're like, you should. You yeah. should care because you're a borderline Hall of Famer and you are a Hall of Famer <laughs> in the NBA, <laughs> but not it. in any other sport. He'll make it. Like, as you a have to understand, like, I get it, man, but you need to change your outlook because you got other kids on these teams looking up to you. And when you act nonchalant about this stuff, it makes him not care. And then you just don't, it messes up the culture of the team when you try and be holier than thou and it comes off. Tone deaf. Yeah. I know he's just trying to say he cares, all he cares about is titles, but yeah, I'm with you. But you're not going to win none. Uh, not right now. <laughs> not against this team. Not right now. Uh, all right, we come back. We'll get into uh, off uh, into Rod's rant of the day. I want to get back to the Cowboys' Texas Coast offense. Come on, man. I've been trying to tell you guys exactly what you're going to see. About 30% of the offense is going to be different. We'll talk about what those differences are going to be right here on Ball Don't Lie on 149 The Horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. I want to get back to the Texas Coast offense for the Dallas Cowboys because I'm very intrigued. 
Um, we've been going through all the different quotes from Mike McCarthy and Stephen Jones and Dak Prescott and, and even Jerry Jones describing what the new offense is going to look like. And basically we know about 30% of the offense based on what Mike McCarthy said, Dak has said, and what Stephen Jones has told all of us, about 30% of the offense is going to change. They don't want to change too much because well, the offense was pretty damn good. Actually, the Cowboys, if you take away non-offensive touchdowns in 2022, they were third behind Philadelphia and Kansas City in scoring. And in the last two years, uh, the last two years, the Cowboys have actually been the highest scoring team in the NFL ahead of Kansas City uh, and Philadelphia in the last two years. So they've been scoring a lot of points. Top team in scoring the last two years. So they want to change a ton. They just wanted to make the offense more effective at achieving a specific goal. And the goal apparently was not always scoring points, as Mike McCarthy told you. He was like, no, Keller Moore was all about scoring points. He's about winning games. You, I know you'll say, well, you got to score a lot of points to win games. Well, you got to control the game um, more so than to just score points to win the game. And I think Mike McCarthy wants to control the game, therefore featuring the defense more um, and trying to basically piecemeal um, and construct the identity of the Cowboys as a team more around the defense and giving them advantageous situations more so than always doing everything to give the advantage to the offense, sacrificing everything to make sure the offense is okay. So I just I think and, and by the way that goes with the roster construction too. Now with Dan Quinn's here, they're spending more money on defense than they have in the past. Usually the Cowboys don't spend a lot of money on defense either. That's a new thing. So the new offense, based on what I've seen, you're going to see. An increase in RPO usage um, and an increase in play-action pass usage just because Dak so much more effective in play-action pass than without. Right? We're talking about last season, 102 passer rating with play-action pass, 87 passer rating without play-action pass. He had 14 interceptions without play-action pass, one interception with play-action pass. And his, both of his interceptions in the playoffs were without play-action pass. Pretty simple. The dude needs to be using play-action pass a whole lot more, right? Uh, that's just pretty simple, and that's just cut and dry. I think the Cowboys will do that. Um, by the way, they were ninth last year, so they weren't terrible in play-action pass rate. They should be top five, though, considering the disparity, the difference in Dak with the play-action pass and Dak without it, all right? You want to see more big Dak energy? More play-action pass. And more RPOs, too. I think he's really good in RPOs. They don't use enough of that. Sometimes they don't differentiate the difference between an RPO and a play-action pass, but I digress. Also, you're going to see more of the deep ball. Something the Cowboys have been talking a lot about in the offseason has been speed. Now, this has been with the addition of Brandon Cooks. They've been talking about the speed on the outside. And I think one of the things that's going to help this Texas Coast offense is their ability to threaten opposing teams with speed. When Dak was asked about Brandon Cooks' speed, he said, um, basically, it's beautiful. Yeah, real speed. Runs the same way every time. He makes it all look the same. I'm thankful he's here. And um, when the Cowboys uh, obviously just had their, their mini, their training camp, mini camp, I should say, not training camp, mini camp, they just had the OTAs, uh, several reports of deep touchdowns by Brandon Cooks. One from Patrick Walker in Team Drills. Cowboys wide receiver Brandon Cooks scorched, in all caps, double coverage on a go route that saw Prescott drop in a dime to hit him in stride for a 60-yard touchdown. Trust me when I tell you his speed is even better than advertised. Uh, John Machoda at the play of the day during Cowboys minicamp. The deep ball touchdown from Dak Prescott to Brandon Cooks. So we've been seeing more of that. And last year, the Cowboys, in terms of throwing the deep ball, uh, they only attempted a deep pass 
20 yards or more down the field, air yards, uh, 10.8% of the time. Uh, just to, to give you some context and perspective on that number, uh, Kenny Pickett uh, and Brock Purdy mm. had higher deep ball percentage rates. Now let me ask this question. Was that because of the play call before you weren't letting the play develop? Was he uh, under duress? It could or be a little more, bit of both. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's it's really hard unless you're breaking down the film to find exactly right, where right, it right. is. The Cowboys did throw a lot of hitch routes. I mean, they were fourth highest uh, hitch route uh, rate in all the NFL. So maybe too many hitch routes and maybe not enough deep uh, routes down the field. The crazy thing about it is, though, Dak is actually a really skilled deep ball passer. Yes, He's he been is. top five in QB passer rating. Uh, uh, if you look at just deep ball, he's been top, sorry, deep top ten. I should say top ten on deep ball passer rating every year of his career except for one. So he's really good. And by the way, there should be a combination: really good at play action pass, really good at deep ball. You should just throw a deep more. And now they got an actual threat, a deep threat in Brandon Cooks. The beauty of Brandon Cooks is people believe he still kept his speed. He was a four three guy coming out, and there's belief that he still kept his speed. And you guys know how I feel. I don't. I don't covet speed at wide receiver because most of the great wide receivers out there, they're not exceptionally fast. All right. They have enough speed to create separation. And, you know, I always say that, you know, if you go look at the stats, it's about the fastest combine uh, times for receivers coming out. The, the If you go look at the 25 fastest wide receivers in combine history, I believe you only got basically one, if you go look at it, 1,000-yard receiver. Mm. Out of that whole group, top twenty-five, and it was Santana Moss. So it's just it, it being it's not as necessary. Yeah, being fine, being fast is like kind of like being like being well endowed. It's good. It may help you, all right, but it's not a necessity. Being well endowed alone doesn't make you a great lover, all right. There's a lot. There's a lot of things, a lot of factors that contribute to you being a great lover. And being fast doesn't necessarily just make you automatically a great wide receiver. There are a lot of things that contribute um, to you know that overall formula of you creating separation from a defensive back. But the Cowboys do have that right now. Mm-hmm. They got Brandon Cook, so they got some speed. and Stretch the field. Yeah, they City, have a great relationship. And City Lamb's not slow, but he's a 4-5 guy. And yeah. they, you know, people still say Brandon Cooks can still run a 4-3. And the beauty of Brandon Cooks is he actually is, he does have the speed, but he also can run routes. All right, And basically the art of route running is the ability to create separation, but he can run really precise routes. Mm-hmm. And I think Dak's going to like That's why Dak really likes him too. Um, also, yeah, We heard in that quote where he says, it's the same thing every time. That, that's, yeah. He mentions in the quote, yep. no, it's not just that he's fast. It's that every time I throw the ball, I just have to hit a spot, and I know where he's going to be. Yeah. I know exactly where he's going to be. Yeah, that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. That's that veteran wide receiver, man. Mm-hmm. That's something he had with Amari Cooper, who had become a veteran. That he, I'm going to say he didn't have it with CD, but CD is still not as savvy yet because he just got there. If, if Brandon Cooks can stay healthy. Is the biggest question. That is a big question. Yep. Uh, something else you're going to end up seeing a lot of with the Texas Coast offense. Hopefully you're, you're seeing less of this because I found this stat and it was uh, a little troubling. Uh, if you go look at the, per seri- the percent of series of downs that rent run, run, pass for the Cowboys. All right, so we're talking about a series of downs that went run, run, pass in that order. Cowboys at the third highest percentage in the NFL of run-run-pass series downs, which is crazy. They're at 28%. Just to give you a little perspective on it, Kansas City's at 16%. 
Um, that's the lowest in the NFL, by the way. Mm. Um, if you go look at it, Cincinnati's at 17%. Buffalo at 18%. That's third lowest. Those are your your lowest three in that particular category. And I think for the Cowboys, that's kind of show that they were a little conservative early on. Maybe they should, and I think you will see them increase their early down pass rate. Because, because of their conservative nature, run, run, pass, made them really predictable. The Cowboys... Three and out percentage, 10th. Cowboys were top 10 in yeah. three and out percentage in mm-hmm. the NFL. They were in the same, they were at 34%. So they're in the same category with Denver. Denver's at 36%. Chicago was at 36%. Uh, hell, the Rams were bad last year. They were at 39%. Uh, New England was bad. They were at 37%. The Cowboys' yeah. offense is way too good to be in the same neighborhood with those offenses from last year. So for, and you're going to look at, uh, Three and out percentage. The Lions were the fewest at 25%. The Lions offense was the top five offense last year. Kansas City second fewest at 25%. San Francisco third fewest, 26%. Uh, along with, hey, Atlanta, shout out to Bijan. Uh, they're at 26%, so fourth fewest. And the Miami Dolphins were the fifth fewest three and outs. Philly was seventh, right behind the Giants. So that's the neighborhood the Cowboys should be in. They should right. not be in the neighborhood of top 10 highest three and out percentage. And I think it's because they were way too conservative early on in their downs. Instead of run, run, pass, they need to mix it up and throw, have some early down pass rates. By the way, Dak, lethal passing the ball on early downs. That's first and second down. He is third in success rate and fifth in expected points added EPA per play on early down passing. Uh, but in 2021, the Cowboys were eighth in early down pass rate in 2022, 26th, 26th in early down pass rate, throwing the ball on first and second down, which is why 43.7% of Cowboys third downs were third and long. Yeah. Third and seven. 40, damn near 44% of all Cowboys third downs were third and seven or more to go. These are the little things. That frustrated Mike McCarthy. Now, you would ask, mm-hmm. why the hell does he need to wait till the offseason to fix it? Why can't you go there and go yell at your offensive coordinator right there to play caller and fix it during the season? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe he was telling uh, Kelly Moore that, and this was the, the thing they couldn't agree on. Maybe this was the mutual disagreement between the two. It's like, exactly. I, I got a way I'm doing it, and if you want to do it, then do it. But you're going to take the play calling sheet out of my hand. Do it somewhere else then. Go to San, uh, San Diego. Go to L.A. Exactly. Now you out of there. So We're going to do it differently. Yeah, so I, so so these are this, like I said, 30% of the offense is going to change. I think you'll get higher play-action pass rate, higher RPO rates, more deep ball, and higher rates of early down pass rate, uh, per early down passing, I should say. Mm, mm, That's mm. what I think your 30% change on the Texas Coast offense is going to look like. I like it. Yeah, I so. like it. All right, Texas Coast, baby. Texas we gotta get Coast. Some, we gotta get some beats to it too. Uh, some Texas Coast. Yeah, some 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 <laughs> South Dallas, some South Dallas, some what is Yellow Beezy uh, to the beat for the Texas Coast. I like that. I like it. Texas. I love how rock can throw in a sexual innuendo as an analogy under any circumstance. This is true. There it is. This is the, how my mind works. Boom. <laughs> gotta love it, baby. I will come right back. Get to off the record on the other side, right here on Ball Don't Lie, one hundred four
Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a Smooth Soul Monday edition of Ball Don't Lie. That's when my man Patrick, the idealionaire, uh, he uh, plays jams that are intended to soothe the tortured soul of sports fans who might have had a tough weekend. And um, John Sterling, radio voice of the New York Yankees, almost had a tough weekend, but honestly ended up being a very lucky weekend for him because he took a foul ball right off the dome. Mm. And it didn't hit him cleanly. It grazed him. So he was okay, but he's 84. 80. He's 84. You know, you, years old. When you're 84, anything could take you out. Like you know, oh. anything. It could be just fall the wrong way, you know, catch the wrong, catch a pneumonia, something, anything. It's just, oh. God, we're praying for everybody who's old like that because, man, anything could happen. Nope. All right. Um, but here's the, this is how you know the guy's a professional. I mean, consummate professional. Because he gets grazed in the head with a foul ball and kept doing the play-by-play. Mm. Here it is. And now the 3-2. Th- swung on, a pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a 3-2. And Holmes ready to deal. A ground ball to third. Donaldson squares, throws to first, in time. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. You know, that foul ball actually hit me. It kind of glanced off my forehead. Though I took one for the team. Okay, John. Um, my best driver of the game is Kyle Higashioka, who wants to know if you're all right. Are you okay? John? Yes. Okay, I, yes. I am okay. Just a glancing blow. Just a glancing blow. Wow. I mean, 84, and with that kind of clarity, that's amazing. Get hit in the head. That's one of my fears, by the way, of going to a baseball game. And it's happened, close to happened to me several times. Just, oh, my goodness. Just catching a stray foul ball. Well, here's the deal. Uh-oh. Okay. First off. You are looking at it. If you watch the video, he's watching the ball come towards him. He's 84. I I understand that, (laughs) but you have been in that booth for a while. I've been at the Dale Diamond Round Rock Express calling the games with Mike Caps, and a ball has come in there. Smoked the back wall. So you need to be aware of that. Mm. And the fact that you are 84, you I know they want to be part of the elements. They want to hear it. Get a crowd mic. Get something like that, man. You need somebody up there protecting you. You need that security guard that tackled them people celebrating on the green. Man. He would have jumped in front of that for you. That's, that's one of my fears, though, the stray foul ball. You got to keep your head on the swivel, bro. Yeah, I, I think it's much worse if you don't. Like, if once I'm 84, I'm not making it to 84. But if I did, then <laughs> then yeah, then I'd be like, hey, just let's get tickets far enough. Away. I don't want them to hit anywhere near me. But at, at 39, I still feel like I could catch it. Now the problem Ooh. would be, I feel like I'd break my hand doing it. Like it'd be one of those things. You're like, let me just grab that, and be like, whoo. I don't trust my. I don't trust. I don't trust myself. I don't, listen. Robbie ain't known for his hands around here. <laughs> if I know that hand-eye coordination, but ain't you great. will deflect it. I would def- yes. yes, I would pee. I'd, I'd, I'd bat that pass away. Yes, yeah. so from a lady next to me or a kid next to me, I probably try to knock away, but I wouldn't try to catch it. Harge, you actually. Tr- hey man, why are you bringing that up? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just say it. You 
tried to barehand one. Trying to, I did. You tried to barehand one. I literally five had off. just walked into the stadium, walked up into my seat section, and as I was getting ready to go, <laughs> here comes the foul ball. I was talking to somebody. And everybody seemed that. to be watching you apparently. Because they were watching the foul ball. Oh, that's- <laughs> and it happened to be in my area. And you would have thought I was Rod B, the way I deflected that ball away from me. Yeah, and, but, but he, that was that was because you were trying to be cool and not was. break conversation. And he I was. you were going to be like, you were going to end mid conversation, catch a ball, and then hand it to the person you were having the conversation. Exactly. One handed style too. He didn't yeah. even pull the other hand up. You tried to be too but cool the, for school. But the problem is, everybody saw it. And the problem is also everybody knows hard. This is when yeah. knowing every damn bike yeah. comes back to haunt you. And I was like, that's hard. That's because that's he was talking hard. to me. That's bike hard. They were calling me hard hands hearts yeah, right there. <laughs> they were calling me hard ball. They were like, he played pro ball. They were calling me skillet that day. They was like, he, he, he played pro ball? Like, he played pro ball. He was drafted in the second yeah. round. That guy? No. Who just dropped that foul ball? Yeah, that's why I'm doing radio <laughs> with my man Rob B. Your boy's not fielding properly. Oh, man. Nah. Yeah. That, that one caught you by surprise. It, straight off balance. That but, one got you. Wasn't there video of and that I thing, was, too? And I wasn't 84, so there you go. <laughs> did there video? Somebody got video of you doing it, didn't they, they? Yeah, they did. I thought it was a video yeah, of you trying to catch it. there is video out there. All right, we got to find it. Yeah, there, is, there is also the great time of this year when Craig Way fell over backwards calling a basketball game and continued to call the game. That's right. As he was on his back. What? What? When this was, was this? during the tournament, I think. Oh yes, I think we did play this audio. Right. Yeah, where we found, yeah, and you cannot really you cannot tell. tell the difference. You can't tell. No, nope. it's like just you know like John Sterling is for oh, 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 in my face. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You cannot tell the difference. I remember it's professionalism that. at another level, right there. Yeah, yeah, both of those guys are the best. <laughs> you're right. That is true. That's goat stuff, right there. Yep. I mean. uh, all right, there you go. So uh, shout out to uh, John Sterling, man. That's that's impressive. All right, we come back. We will get into uh, NFL talk. We'll go into some Cowboys discussion, NFL news notes, and nuggets. We'll talk about Saquon Barkley. Reportedly, he may be holding out. That's good news mm. for Cowboys fans. And uh, can Dak Prescott bounce back this season? One of the NFL analysts and columnists certainly thinks so. We'll discuss that on the other side, right here on Ball Don't Lie, 104.9 Horn.